It's time now for the complete story with Rich and Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here are Rich and Dick Bott with today's complete story. Hey, hey, Rich, it's good to have you back in the studio. I want to tell the folks right off the bat now, it's this coming Tuesday that I go to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and then they'll tell me what's going on with my voice. Maybe I'll get it back, maybe I won't, but at least I'll I'll have a good idea what to expect. What do you think? I think that's a great idea, <laughs> and I'm excited to see what they're going to find because I think when they find whatever it is that they'll figure out a way to help make it Listen, better. Listen, you know, on our listener comment line, so many people have said they're praying, and that's wonderful because when you have a diagnosis, what the problem is, then you trust the great physician. See, that's the point. You put your, always your faith in the great physician to uh, to have have his way in it. That's right, because doctors treat, but God heals. Yeah, that's right. Good way. Good way to put that. Now, here's the thing, folks. There's one thing that Paul Harvey said when he was alive. You know, in every generation, perhaps, why we are given a certain number of people that have what's known as common sense. They know that one plus one is two, and they know that, that gravity pulls, the rain falls, and the sun shines. It's not complicated. Well, Paul Harvey, uh, he had a recording in my archives called From Freedom to Change freedom to chains you know sometimes people get freedom but they don't know what to do with it they get nervous and they start looking around for big government to help them and, and lead them and show them the way that's kind of been the way it was in the bible and i think it's the way it all down through history so paul harvey had this recording and i want to share it with our with our folks today now then what makes a nation strong taxes there's nothing new about those either. The first income tax was paid by Abraham. It was written on a rock by the hand of divinity and handed to Moses at the top of Mount Sinai. And you might want to remember this. It was at the flat rate of 10%. It promised the wrath of God on anybody who tampered with or violated that law. Christ was born in Bethlehem because Joseph was on his way to pay his taxes. Joseph was a relatively well-to-do landowner of the house and lineage of David. Yet the taxes exacted by Caesar Augustus were so exorbitant that he didn't have enough money left over to employ a trusted messenger for the mission, so though his wife was great with child, he made the journey himself. And Christ was born in Bethlehem because Joseph was on his way to pay his taxes. And Christ was born in a manger because there was a housing shortage when he got there. Our problems are not new. At Runnymede, the Magna Carta was handed to King John on the end of a sword denying to royalty the right of unlimited taxation. Yet you know it was for us, the American people, to become the first in recorded history ever voluntarily to surrender our rights to private property. Oh, yes, we did. With an innocent-sounding constitutional amendment, the 16th, which says that Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived. And we forgot to put any limit on the extent to which we could tax ourselves. Conceivably, we could be taxed out of all private property. We could be taxed not... 70%, 80%, 90%, but 100%. We could awaken one morning and find that the government owns the farm and the house and the car and has a mortgage on the church, legally. Historically, whenever any nation has taxed its people more than 25% of their national income, initiative was destroyed and that nation was headed for economic eclipse. Presently, the American people are being taxed 33% of their total income. 
History says we'll roll forward on momentum for a little while, but we'd better get some more gas in the tank pretty quick. You see, ours is not the first by George good government to arise on the world stage. There have been several. Rome, Spain, and Greece, and China, and each enjoyed about 150 years at its zenith. That's just about our time in the New World. And then each decayed away. Not one of them was ever destroyed by anybody else's marching legions. Each rotted away, morally, socially, culturally, economically, simultaneously. You know, one of the most cruel paradoxes of history is this. Because each was a good government, it bore bountiful fruit. And when it bore bountiful fruit, the people got fat. And when they got fat, they got lazy. And when they got lazy, they began to want to absolve themselves of personal responsibility and turn over to government to do for them things which traditionally they had been doing for themselves. At first, there appears to be nothing wrong asking government to perform some extra service for you, but if you ask government for extra services, government, in order to perform its increasing function, has to get bigger, right? And as government gets bigger, in order to support its increasing size, it has to what? Tax the individual more, so the individual gets littler. And to collect the increased taxes requires more tax collectors, so the government gets bigger, and in order to pay the additional tax collectors, it has to tax the individual more, so the government gets bigger, and the individual gets littler. And the government gets bigger, and the individual gets littler, until the government is all-powerful. The individual is hardly anything at all. The government is all-powerful. The people are cattle. Now, some believe that the need is for a vigorous, strong man to arise on the scene to regulate and regiment the affairs of men. Yet history tells us there have been several such. Once upon a time, there was a nation great and powerful and good. She was suffering from the aftermath of war, from a depression. And then came upon the scene a leader, an idealist, self-confident, intolerant of criticism. Wisely, he limited his early activities to combating the financial depression. Nobody could argue with that. But in a while, he began to regulate business and establish new rules to govern commerce and finance. Some of them in diametrical disagreement with the God-made laws of supply and demand, but anybody who disagreed with those new rules was promptly fired. The new leader saw that under the old system of free enterprise, landlords prospered, so he levied new taxes to take away their profits and destroy what he called the monopoly of capital. To please laborers, he controlled prices. To win the favor of the farmers, he gave him loans and subsidies. The national debt mounted alarmingly. Whenever anybody tried to tell him that governments, even as people, can go broke when they spend beyond their incomes, he said they just didn't understand deficit finance. Well, what do you say? Did he build on rock or on sand? I say on sand. For you see, this was the story of Emperor Tsu Tung Po, who led China to its doom more than a thousand years ago. I am satisfied with all my heart that if Uncle Sam ever does get whipped, here too, it will have been an inside job. It was internal decay, it was not external attack that destroyed the Roman Empire. Starting about 146 B.C., internal conditions in Rome were characterized by a welter of class wars and conflicts, street brawls, corrupt governors, lack of personal integrity and moral responsibility. About 290 years after Christ, a Roman emperor named Diocletian took over. 
He really grabbed the bull by the horns. He took over in a period of turmoil and severe depression. The first thing Diocletian did was call in the gold and close the banks and raise the taxes. He reduced the power of the Senate, delegated its power to a lot of little government bureaus. Do you know they even had a transportation act back there prescribing the fee required to rent one laden ass per mile? And at today's rate of exchange, it would have amounted to about one-eighth cent per mile which meant that in order to make a profit, a jackass would have to carry five passengers? That was simply beyond the capacity of the jackass. Diocletian put millions of people on the public payroll, but when this failed to do the job, the country was still in trouble. He asked more personal powers for himself. For a brief while, incidentally, they were standby powers, but then he used them all at once. He froze wages, he froze prices, he froze jobs, he stopped profits, he dictated to the farmer what he should plant, when and how he should sell it, and for how much, and he rationed food. And what happened? The labor market closed down. Incentive was gone. Farm life became dependent on bureaucratic red tape. Exorbitant taxes cost the farmer his land. He kept for himself only a small plot on which he might grow turnips for his family. He lost the rest of it to the state. And without food and with incentive gone, city life stagnated and declined. And Rome passed into what history has recorded as the Dark Ages, lasting a thousand years. Just by turning to the left, the world has gone in circles. A nation would evolve from a monarchy into an oligarchy, from oligarchy to dictatorship, from dictatorship to bureaucracy, from bureaucracy to pure democracy, where finally the people would cry out from the chaos and confusion of the streets, oh, please, God, give us a king, and God would give them a king, and they'd have a monarchy again and start the whole silly cycle anew. Now, either we will profit from the errors of their ways, or it follows as the night, the day, our children are going to have to relive the dark ages all over again. How come after thousands of years of experiment, our new nation has come so far, so fast? All this in less than 200 years. What is the secret of our success? Well, I think it had to do with a basic American's creed. Perhaps it never passed the pioneer's lips in this form, but if it had, I think he would have said something like this. I believe in my God, in my country, and in myself. I know that sounds like a trite, too simple thing to say, and yet it's a rare man today who will dare to stand up and say, I believe in my God, and my country, and in myself, and in that order. When the early American pioneer first turned his eyes toward the West, there were only Indian trails or traces, as they were called, for him to follow through the wilderness. Do you know today you can roller skate from Miami to Seattle, from San Diego to Plymouth Rock? In this little bitty instant, as historical time has measured, our 7% of the Earth's population has come to possess more than half of all the world's good things. How come? Well, sir, when that early pioneer turned his eyes toward the West, he didn't demand that somebody else look after him. He didn't demand a free education. He didn't demand a guaranteed rocking chair at eventide. He didn't demand that somebody else take care of him if he got ill or got old. There was an old-fashioned philosophy in those days that a man was supposed to provide for his own and for his own future. He didn't demand a maximum amount of money for a minimum amount of work. Nor did he expect pay for no work at all. Come to think of it, he didn't demand anything. That hard-handed pioneer just looked out there at the rolling plains, stretching away to the tall green mountains, and then lifted his eyes to the blue skies and said, Thank you, God. 
Now I can take it from here. Now that spirit isn't dead in our country, it's dormant. It's been discredited in some circles, driven underground, but it isn't dead. It's just that a few seasons ago, politicians baiting their hooks with free barbecue and trading a Ponzi promise for votes began telling us we don't want opportunity anymore, we want security. We don't want opportunity, they said, we want security. And they said it so often we came to believe them, we wanted security. And they gave us chains, and we were secure. Suddenly, with our constitutional guarantees depleted, with our national character eroding away, with our tax laws penalizing those who dare to prosper, with workers concentrating on how little they can get by with instead of how much they can produce, suddenly we looked overhead one day to discover that the first tin moon in space was a Russian accomplishment, that free men dragging their feet had been outdistanced by slave workers dragging their chains, and we were sore afraid. Perhaps this was a disguised blessing, too. Maybe a dramatic accomplishment by this Cold War adversary was necessary to get us off our dead centers and back to work again. If we can revive in ourselves, then in our youth, something of that basic American's creed, the horizon has never, ever been so limitless. For man stands now on the threshold of his highest adventure of all, his first faltering footsteps into space. Twenty years from today, half of the products you will be using in your everyday living aren't even in the dictionary yet. We've got it made. If we just keep on keeping on, we've got it made. And if we don't, we will follow those other great nation-states of history into the graveyard of ignominious oblivion. History promises only this for certain. We will get exactly what we deserve. Isn't that amazing, Rich? That was recorded how long ago? Well, 53 years ago, over 50 years ago in 1965. See, and since 1965, our culture, the whole idea of a family, has all been eroding. And it is just true what he said. It is absolutely true. Now, let me just say one other thing. Um, it begins with life and then liberty. That's freedom, folks. And then the pursuit of happiness. No guarantee. No guarantee. But to be out there pursuing it. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do you know, Rich, that Planned Parenthood was given 550 million dollars of tax money to continue doing what Planned Parenthood does. That was shameful. You talk about a swamp in Washington. Now, you and I have been going to Washington for years. I've been back and forth many times when you were just a little kid. But it has grown and it has grown and it has grown. I mean to tell you, there's a building boom in Washington more now than there's ever been. And uh, and that's the way it says taken place. Now, here is a doctor, we're going to hear this story, that performed open-heart surgery on the heart of an unborn child while still in the mother's womb. Did you hear me, folks? Are you pro-life, for goodness sake? Those of you who wonder who should we vote for, for president or anything else, I'm tired of people promising they really are pro-life, and they're not. 
I don't care what church they go to. I want to know the inside character of the candidate. And I'll tell you the last thing in the world you would want to have seen is anybody named Hillary Clinton as president because she, on my word, Planned Parenthood, and the leader of Planned Parenthood, they were best friends, on and on and on. Now, this is just to make the point. Why is this doctor performing open-heart surgery on this little unborn baby? Because that little life is important. Well, honest to Pete, how can you have then Planned Parenthood killing that little child? Or it's, uh, you see, it's other counterparts. And this is where we have a society that's kind of really mixed up right now. Listen to this story. Another historic surgery from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. It's a CBS 3 Health Watch exclusive, a risky and delicate heart operation on a fetus. The health reporter Stephanie Stahl is here with more on this amazing story mm. and how this all just transpired. Yeah. CHOP has done it again. Mm. You know, they have become world-renowned for its fetal heart surgery, operating on a fetus still inside the mother's womb. This time, doctors operated on a tiny fetal heart. And after some risky setbacks, we were there as the family from South America said goodbye to the team that saved their baby. You're going home. Yes. Excited. Baby Juan and his parents are headed back to Uruguay, where the infant is a celebrity. We received messages and phone calls from people we don't know. Since October, the family has been camped out at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, where doctors saved Juan's life with an intervention that's largely unheard of in many places. It was a hard time, a crazy time, but we are extremely happy about how everything Sold. When Cecilia was five months pregnant, a routine ultrasound showed a mass on the baby's heart. Their doctor in Uruguay sent the images to his friend, uh, Dr. Jack Rychek at CHOP. The minute I saw this, I recognized that there was a giant tumor sitting on the heart. It was a rare pericardial teratoma. The only hope was fetal surgery, operating on the baby's heart inside the womb. We never heard this before. I started laughing. Like, what? <laughs> they do that? They raced to Philadelphia. CHOP is the only place where the risky fetal heart operation had been done successfully, and just once before. We're operating on two patients here with a single intent. Our goal is to resect the tumor, but we also have the mother and we have the baby. Juan is now the second baby to survive the fetal surgery that happened when his mom was 21 weeks pregnant. His heart at the time of the surgery is essentially the size of a peanut. The size of the tumor was about three times the size of the heart. Had we waited an additional day, we probably would have been too late. After the fetal surgery, the pregnancy continued as the family waited in Philadelphia. At 31 weeks, Juan was born December 11th, but the tumor had grown back, so there was a second heart surgery. There were a lot of chances that the baby was going to die. But he survived with a big scar on his chest. Juan is now three months old and healthy. However, his prognosis is unknown. There are no other human beings alive today who have had fetal surgery for this removal of this type of a tumor that are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old that we could then say what the prognosis is going to be. But for Cecilia and Pablo, at least their son has a chance after the fetal surgery that still has their heads spinning. Unbelievable. I mean, I look at him and I can't believe what they did here. 
Isn't he adorable? Now, the family is now back in South America where Juan continues to thrive. That heart tumor that is very rare was benign. It's not known what causes it, but it is usually a deadly condition. So they are so grateful to have been here. The first baby, by the way, operated for that condition at CHOP mm -hmm. is four years old now. Wow. And you'll continue to follow this? Of course, oh, baby yeah. Juan. Absolutely. He's adorable. Yeah, have to. Isn't he? Thanks Stephanie, so much, thank you so much. Incredible. Yeah. Isn't that amazing, Rich? Isn't that amazing? I want to say this, too. We're talking to our audience. We're talking to Bot Radio Network audience. And for the most part, that's a Christian audience. So the point to our audience, do we care? Do we really care about, about the subject of that story? Isn't that interesting? They talk about the baby that was operated on for that condition. Yeah. The baby. The baby was in the womb, but it was a baby. They don't say fetus. They don't say product of conception or tissue, but it's a baby in the womb. Is there any doubt, for goodness sake, then why on earth do we then even condone taking public money to support an organization like Planned Parenthood whose purpose? Now, they can have excuses, they can make it up all they want to, but Planned Parenthood, from its inception, was to kill babies. Call it abortion, call, give it whatever name you want, but that's what it is. So anyway, thinking about who we're talking to today, uh, a Christian audience, and we're part of the family. We're part of the family of God. Do you realize that, folks? And are we a family? Can we get our act together? Forget about Republican or Democrat or anything else, but the things we believe and the things that are important are the things we support. Here's a song to tell about it. Notice we say, brother and sister around here. You know why? It's because we're family and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood, joined heirs with Jesus as we travel the sun. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong. I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. Oh, sing the song. I'm so glad. 
washed in the fountain Cleansed by His blood Join us with Jesus As we travel this side For I'm part of the family The family of God Yes, I'm part of the family the family of God yeah. uh, you know Rich I said a f- couple of weeks ago um, uh, I, I, I'm not a preacher I'm not even a radio guy I mean as far as announcing who could, who could be on the radio with a voice like mine mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's the way it goes but we are what we are we are what we are, and we do the best we can. And um, and you find out what God wants you to do with the life that he's given you, and then you go for it, don't you? Now, we enjoy reading the transcript from the listener call-in line every week, don't we? We do, and I love that song about the family of God. We think of our listeners as our listening family, and we thank you for listening and being a part of Bot Radio Network. Uh, next week, when you go to Mayo, let's encourage everybody to pray for you oh, okay. and your voice and the doctors. I uh, look forward well, to uh, a what. good solution to whatever is happening yeah. there with your voice. But our listener comment line is one 800 345-2621. That's 1-800-345-2621. And uh, leave us your message. Let us know what your favorite programs are and things that are a blessing to you about Bot Radio Network. And we just love to hear your comments. All right, now one other word from Paul Harvey, because he pointed out something that I honestly believe. It's in the Bible, by the way. You could find it in the book of Genesis, for goodness sake. Hard work is something that that is satisfying. Hard work is rewarding. And we're not teaching children how to work. Our children are growing up. That's why they're living in dad's basement forever, for goodness sake. They have never learned to work. And that really is cheating the child from not learning how to work. It's very satisfying. It's very rewarding. But you have to learn to do it. Here's Paul Harvey to tell us about it. Americans preachers tell me that there is no sermon which is looked forward to with less enthusiasm than a sermon about sin. (laughs) Well, that's probably true if we're talking about a secular sermon on the subject of hard work. There is no gospel less popular than the gospel of hard work. I could ask you today, I could ask you right now to demonstrate your faith in America by handing poison to snakes, and, and many or most of you would. I could outline a fundamental Christian code of conduct which strictly forbids the use of stimulants or sedatives or the wearing of jewelry, and many would, willingly and without question, accept and be bound by such abstinence. Our leaders could readily rally you to fight and die for your country, as they have many times, and and you would even again. But if Paul Harvey or any politician should state that our only chance for survival is to get off our dead centers and get to work, well, I'd be lucky if you'd let me finish. But I'm going to test my luck today. You see, I don't happen to be running for or from anything, and that does make a difference. The pregnant skyline of America was set in place one brick at a time. Now, that represents a lot of calluses. America the Beautiful 
is not an accomplished fact guaranteed to remain intact. God shed his grace on thee, to be sure, but this was wasteland when God had it to himself. He handed man a hoe and said, You want another Eden? All right, earn it. And all that's necessary for the weeds to take over again is for you and me to lay down that hoe. Now, Americans, the problem is less acute today than it has been. We're on the right track right now. But if we sit down on that track, I'm afraid we're going to get run over. We tell our young people how our country was carved out of the wilderness. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Our nation was not carved out of the wilderness. Our nation was hammered and hoed and chopped and dug and sawed and clawed out of the wilderness by barehanded men who asked nothing for nothing. America did not start out with an agricultural production that's the awe and envy of the world. It was seeded first by sod-busting farmers who fought Indians and ranchers and cold and heat and drought and bugs and flood and one another. The fruited plain sprang forth from barren acres only after they had been watered with a lot of sweat. I guess what I'm saying is that the more history I study, ours and others, the more certain I am that there is one fertilizer essential to the survival of civilization, and that fertilizer is sweat. And I don't mean perspiration. I mean the kind of steamy, streamy, salty sweat that's wrung from a man by hard physical work. Somehow, the sweat gets into the soil of a farm or a factory or a city or a state or a nation, and everything thereabouts grows tall and strong and tough enough to stand against any storm. But the day the sweat dries up, the soil dries up. And whole civilizations are buried in dust. Isn't that amazing? Well, we got to get out of here, Rich. Well, you sure do. Dad, I've been bad. Good to be with you today, and uh, look forward to next week. All right, this is Dick Bott with Rich with his chapter, The Complete Story. As a public service, we'll see you later. 